Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Orange About Talk podcast for Monday. We're putting a little extra news here on the front. As soon as we're done with this, Dan Lobby... Scott Pascoe, Ashley Bastock will join us. We went through everything we learned at the NFL Combine, but breaking news on Monday afternoon, Doug Lamarie's with Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, the Browns put the franchise tag on David Njoku. What does that mean for David Njoku and the Browns? Well, it makes total sense for them to put the franchise tag on David Njoku because his average in his contract is going to be probably more than what he receives in the franchise tender, which is going to be somewhere around $11 million, maybe a little bit more than that. I believe he will average probably about $12 million in his new contract extension, which they will continue to work on. This is a bit of a placeholder. This guarantees that David Njoku will be a Brown in 2022, right? At the very least. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the only thing that could change that is if for some reason they trade him now, but they have secured him for 2022. And yes, at the very least, he is here through then. And if they can work out their extension, fine. If not, he makes double digit millions this year, and then he can hit the market at the end of this season. So kind of a win-win situation for both sides. Do you, if you had to guess, and obviously you've been doing a lot of reporting on this, do you think they will wind up working out an extension here? That, as you said, this is only a placeholder, but he's going to wind up with a three year deal for 36 million or something like that. Yes, I do think that will happen. He has been working on that. Uh, his agent, Malky Kawhi, has been working on that with the Browns for months and months. I mean, I remember talking to David about this at the, um, at an event, a Thanksgiving event in November. And uh, he said that they were working on it pretty hard back then. So yes, I do think that it will get done. The Browns really like David a lot. And I think that this could result in a possible spinoff move. I'm not sure, uh, but this could mean something for Austin Hooper. Which would be what a trade of Austin Hooper. Is it, would it be too much of a cap hit for them to just cut him or what, what would that possible spinoff move be? Well, this effectively makes David Njoku the highest paid tight end on the team. And also, in my mind, I believe the number one tight end on the team. I believe they view him in that way. And that, uh, you know, Andrew Barry is delighted, I'm guessing, with the fact that his number one pick in 2017 is living up to first round status. They traded up to get him there. Uh, So I think this means that he's going to be the number one tight end and, you know, Maybe they will 
try to trade Austin Hooper, who now is averaging $10.5 million. And yes, the cap hit right now would be uh, too large for them. The dead money would be too large for them uh, to just eat that. So I don't see that happening. Uh, There could be some relief after June 1st in that regard. Uh, But, you know, I think we just need to keep an eye on the fact that maybe they don't want to pay $11 million to David, 10 and a half to Austin Hooper, and we'll just see what the next thing is. So now that we've reached this point, Mary Kay, and that as we know, David and Joku at the very least will be a Cleveland Brown in 2022. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised at all? Certainly, I mean, at the beginning of the offseason, it felt like, well, you know, they're already paying Hooper a lot of money. And what if there is another team out there that really throws a huge contract at David and Joku? Maybe he won't be around. That this has happened. Um, did you sort of think, this is how it would go? Or were there, was there some doubt in your mind about whether he'd be on the team this coming season? No, I've always known uh, how they feel about David Njoku. I've always known that uh, they were going to ante up and try to make a, a big commitment to David Njoku. Once again, Andrew Berry seems to have a very special place in his heart for that 2017 draft. Uh, he was here you know, with Sashi Brown then as the vice president of player personnel. Uh, he is very... Uh, you know, still very high on a lot of the players that he scouted in that draft. They're very proud of this pick. And I've been saying all along, you've heard me say it, that I believe he is an eight touchdown a year tight end. Now, in order for that to happen, he needs to get the opportunities. He needs to get more red zone opportunities, and he should. Um, But, you know, in that regard, you're probably going to have to relegate Austin Hooper to the number two. Not sure he's going to like that idea. Maybe his agent will reach out to the Browns and ask for a trade. I'm not sure about that yet, but there could be something that gets a little bit shaken up. Now, can you afford to pay both of these guys uh, a, co- a combined, you know, whatever, tw- you know, $22 million a year or more? Uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily break the bank. You probably could do it, uh, but I think it's just something to keep an eye on. But no, I am not surprised about this. They've always loved Dave Njoku. We will have more about this maybe on the Tuesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast will be the Hey, Mary Kay edition. As always, we'll be getting questions from our Browns insiders. So we wanted to bring you this news. This podcast is getting to you a little later on Monday than usual, but it turns out it was a good thing we waited because the franchise tender on David and Joku will certainly be a Cleveland Brown in 2022. Thanks to Mary Kay Cabot for getting that news out to the world and jumping on here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now to our regularly scheduled programming, Mary Kay, me, Ashley, Dan, Scott, talking about what we learned at the NFL Combine. We're back from the NFL Combine, our second homes in Indianapolis. Ashley didn't want to leave. She said, I love it here. I want to stay forever. I love working 18-hour days, but she had to come back and go to her second job as a Cavs beat writer, so the Cavs called her back. We're all back to talk about what we learned at the NFL Combine and did it change our minds about anything and how we view the Browns, how we view their offseason, how we view their draft plans. And I'll start, because everybody likes it when I just talk for eight minutes at the start of a podcast. (laughs) I am coming away more open to the idea of an edge rusher at number 13 for the Browns than I was before we went there. And that is not me giving up on Garrett Wilson, but that is me saying if Garrett Wilson is not available at 13 for the Browns, maybe I'm still there on Drake London, but I maybe not as all in on receiver or bust because this edge class is great. There are going to be some very interesting edge guys. 
on the board at 13. The two guys I focused on in a story over the weekend were Jermaine Johnson of Florida State and Trayvon Walker of Georgia. And then Trayvon Walker at 275 pounds went out and ran a 2-8 in the 40s. So I don't know if Trayvon Walker's getting to 13, but somebody is. So I had said in all my draft stuff, I don't know. I don't see anything getting me off receiver at 13. I'll hedge that slightly. Does anybody else think they're a little more in? Maybe you were already in on edge at 13, but how are you viewing receiver versus edge rusher at this point off the combine? So I've, I've always kind of thought edge rusher could be in play just because it's such a valuable position. But I'll also say this. I, I think one of the things the combine can do to us is like we can overreact to it. So I, I guess like to me, Doug, if it's just the combine, if it's just what you saw at the workouts that has you thinking, oh, maybe they should take an edge rusher. I don't know. I, I think maybe you should take a step. If you've been like all in on receiver up until the combine, and then it's like, oh, nope, these workouts changed my mind. I, I think that's a dangerous way to look at it. Because, I, you know, the workouts are kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, they're a part of the process, but that's all they are, a part of the process. They shouldn't a fast 40 shouldn't change your mind and have you thinking, Oh boy. Yeah. You got to take an edge rush now. Um, but I, you know, I've always kind of thought it was in play. First of all, what a fast track that was in Indy. Oof. My goodness. Right. Incredibly fast track. And I'm wondering if those numbers are all going to hold up uh, at their pro days. You know, I mean, people are all, gaga over some players because of their combine 40 times. And it just seems like all of them were blistering. So I'm very interested to see the, um, you know, the, how that all shakes out once the pro days start, but uh, you know, I can see where you're going with this, Doug. I know a lot of people came away from the combine feeling that way, that, that the edge rushers are just so off the charts in this draft that um, you know, that you might have to take one there at number 13. My feeling on it is, that it is such a premium position. And also, I, I never believe that Andrew Berry will or should be uh, backed into some kind of a corner where he has to take something. And you're right. If they determine that, that Garrett Wilson is worth the number 13 overall pick and he's gone, and Trayvon Walker is the highest rated player on the board at number 13, certainly you would not go picking a lesser rated Drake London ahead of him. You have to be true to your board or you're going to end up with a bad football team. I've watched way too many teams make that mistake over the years. So with the high ratings and perhaps the climbing ratings of the DL and the edge rushers, uh, I would think it is 100% in play to take an edge there if he's the highest rated guy. Trayvon Walker is really interesting. Mm -hmm. All these Georgia guys showed out at the combine. And he's a guy who weighs in at 275 pounds. It came to Georgia at 290. He almost, I said, did you think about going heavier at Georgia and becoming a tackle? And he's like, well, you know, the nutritionist said do this. And so I dropped some weight, but he is like a, like a run stopper at 275 who also had a great three cone drill who ran four or five in the 40 a uh, lot really good in all the explosion drills. And I know there are some people who've really been in on Trayvon Walker, but we've done a lot of talk. Everybody has about Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau at the top of the draft. Walker might've gotten into the top 10 too. So this may be another conversation. It's like, cool. 
way to talk about Trayvon Walker for a month and a half. He went six. The Browns never had a shot at him. But and then there's Jermaine Johnson guy who actually was uh, was at Georgia and like kind of couldn't get on the field at Georgia and transferred to Florida State and had 12 and a half sacks and was the ACC defensive player of the year. Just like long, lean, like another like guy who can play the run and be a little bit explosive. And then it's a, it's like deep in both. I think edge rusher and receiver are both deep, but the idea of like, well, what'd you rather have? Would you rather have Drake London and a second round edge rusher? Would you rather have Jermaine Johnson and George Pickens at receiver in round two, Ashley? Like that's again, as Mary Kay said, you can't get too bogged down in the positional stuff, but they've got to come out of here with a receiver. Right. I mean, we also think that, but you start trying to pair it up. It's like, that's where I'm getting to the point of, man, if, if your number one guy at receiver is gone, maybe you start pairing it that way edge at 13 receiver in the second round. So like, what was so interesting about this week? And I know we talked about this before. It's like with the top receivers in this draft, they're all kind of good at different things. Like it kind of just depends on what traits the Browns want. And I know a bunch of us like tried to ask Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski about this and get some kind of clarity with what, what they value in terms of that position. And we didn't really get that, but obviously like you have a guy like Traylon Burks who has side and size and speed and Garrett Wilson has the speed and separation ability and Drake London has the size and ability to make contested catches. So there's all these different things. But when it comes to me, I mean, I think I've kind of always been a little bit open to edge rusher at 13 if they do go that route. But to go back to a point you made earlier, Doug, like this is such a deep edge rushing draft. I do think there are guys they could get later um, at that position, just like you're saying, you know, there's a potential to get a receiver later. But I know you wrote about Josh Pascal from Kentucky, and that's a guy who I included him in my first mock draft. And I walked away from the combine um, really kind of loving him. If he's around in the third round, I might go a little crazy if the Browns don't pick him because I've always kind of, when I was reading about him and watching his clips, he has this great initial speed. Um, Hearing him talk, when we heard from Kevin Stefanski this week, you know, he mentioned that the Browns really value this capacity to learn. He talked about it with Anthony Schwartz. We obviously had a whole discussion on that. But hearing Josh Paschal talk, he kind of reminded me of JOK in that regard with his game prep. He told this great story about a game against Ole Miss where he saw on film an opportunity there was going to be for him to get an interception. He told his teammates about it, that he was going to do it, and he went out and did, did it. So I think both of these positions are deep in this draft, and it's kind of aligning with the Browns' needs right now. So I'm very curious to see what they'll do, but I'm still favoring receiver earlier on and maybe picking up an edge rusher later. Scott, one of the things that has me interested in some of these edge guys is that they're run stoppers. There's some bigger guys and I, and I don't want to get too bogged down and like, Hey, Clowney was good against the run and boy, oh boy, that sure seemed to pair well with miles Garrett, like Clowney's reputation of that, but I can't help it. Right. That I I'm less interested in a sort of a, you know, a lighter, pure speed edge guy, especially Walker at 275 with some of the experience he has even playing inside a little bit. I just have some of that clowny stuff on my mind. Is that wrong? No, I think things have changed with the Browns. Though, like you brought in Clowney, and there was a lot made of his run stopping ability. But now you have JOK at linebacker, who's going to cover a lot more space than any linebacker you've had over the past couple of years uh, with him or before him. So that vulnerability on the edge maybe isn't what it was, or isn't going to be what it was the past couple of years. You know, I, going edge in the first round, there's also a cost effectiveness to that because 
defensive ends are so highly paid. Um, it's similar to a quarterback. You get a good one on a rookie contract for X number of years. Uh, you're in a really good position um, as opposed to maybe receiver. It's not going to be, it's not going to be the same situation because you know, the value of an edge rusher in the NFL is just so different from, from what you get as far as their impact on winning the game. And we've all seen edge rushers kind of taken out of the game. We've seen Miles Garrett frustrated, you know, a bunch of times. We've seen the Browns effectively take the Steelers front four out of, uh, out of games in 2020. So it's kind of out of whack. But if you're going to tell me the Browns are going to go edge for whatever reason, getting a good one and getting him at a good price for, you know, four or five years is that's, that's important to, to building a roster. And also, I think it should be noted, they really don't have any idea what is going to happen with Jadavian Clowney. And not that that would be a long-term answer anyways, uh, but the truth of the matter is Jadavian is going to do what Jadavian wants to do. He liked it here. There is a chance and maybe even a good chance that he'll sign here, but there's also a chance that he won't. And I've been working hard talking to people in his camp, trying to figure out what the vibe is there. And the vibe is Jadavian marches to his own drummer, does what he is going to want to do. So I really do think that they have to plan for edge kind of in a, you know, in a pretty big and significant way. And, uh, and so I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I'm still, you know, on in the receiver camp, but it makes a ton of sense to go, to go edge there too. I've been doing some research on the number one receivers, the best, the, best receivers in the NFL, sort of how they got to their teams. And almost all of them are drafted to their teams. You've got to draft a receiver. You have to draft and develop a receiver. But, and you've got to do it like almost all of them are first, second or third round picks. But there are kind of a lot of them that are second and third round picks. And I know there's, I got some, I've gotten some stuff from readers and texters and that kind of thing. It's like, Hey, just get a receiver in the second round. It's like, well, yeah, I get it. As I said, you can do that any position, but they, they can be out there. If you if you are really pragmatic about finding the right guy, you can find A.J. Brown in the second round. You can find Terry McLaurin in the third round, right? That they, they have to take a receiver in the first three rounds. And they have to take a receiver who I think is a little more, as much as we heard the story about Anthony Schwartz, who's just more, you know, refined as a receiver that is a, a full package receiver, not just a speed guy. They have to take a guy that they think can be one of their two best receivers in this draft. But maybe it doesn't have to be in the first round. If it's George Pickens or David Bell or somebody like that in the second round, that's where. And if you get an edge rusher that you think has a chance to be an all pro. So that's that changed my mind. Some of you were smarter than me and we're already open to that. Dan, you were already open to that. So what did change your mind, Dan? What was something that happened that, or maybe just reinforced something from the combine? Yeah, I don't know if it's anything that changed necessarily. It just sort of reinforced this idea that the Browns are going to be able to address receiver and defensive linemen in some capacity in these first two rounds. And I'm still, I'm still more like receiver with that first pick. Like I, that, that's still where I'm leaning. I want that premium type of receiver. You know, you have, you have one of the best edge rushers in football already. If there's a guy that you can bring in in the second round who you really like, I, I think that's the route you go. I, I, I would rather prioritize receiver over edge rusher, honestly. And I want a premium guy, whether it's Traylon Burks, whether it's even, even like Chris Olave. You know, I would rather have Chris Olave at 13 
then, you know, unless one of these, you know, unless an edge rusher falls unexpectedly, I'd still rather have that premium receiver at number 13. But it, it just, this draft reinforced, like, I can get that premium receiver at 13 and I could get like a Logan Hall in the second round, or I could get, I, I would rather take a chance on a guy at edge rusher or defensive tackle in the second round than at receiver. But I think this draft is going to fall the way the Browns want it to fall, whether they want to go edge receiver or receiver edge, that this thing is set up for them to fill those needs in, in this draft. So I think we've felt that the last couple drafts and we've talked about that. It's like they needed the tackle two drafts ago. There was a bunch of tackles. They took Jedrick Wills Jr. Last year, they needed a corner. Hey, there's like four or five good corners. Hey, look, here's Greg Newsom pretty late in the first round. Awesome. Is What is this, Dan? Why is this like the third year in a row where it feels like the talent is matching the need? Like are the Browns the luckiest team in the league? Are we just like myopic in our viewpoint because we know what the Browns need and so we focus on certain guys? Or, I mean, is this some good fortune that, again, it feels like the talent is there where they maybe need to draft guys? You know, I I was sort of debating that. So I I sent out this text to our texters on Sunday, like, hey, this is kind of the same, the point I just made. I don't know if you guys can hear my washing machine one room over, like squeaking away, but uh, if you can, that's what it is. Anyway, a part of me wonders is like Andrew Barry just super smart and he kind of knows like, Hey, you know, this draft two years from now is going to be really receiver heavy or defensive line. Like I imagine there's some level of planning in their minds as they're looking ahead, like, you know, Hey, there's a bunch of receivers coming up in a couple of years. Let's make sure that we're set up for that. It's probably a combination of both, right? It, there, there's probably some luck involved. There's some make your own luck part of it too. And the other part of it is like their roster is still, They've got a good roster, right? Their roster is relatively complete. And so they can go into a draft and be a little more targeted than maybe some teams, I guess. So I don't know. I've been trying to decide how much of it is luck, how much of it is planning, how much of it is a combination of the two things. But, you know, I do think this front office probably deserves some credit for looking out two or three years ahead and understanding what their needs were and and kind of trying to form what these drafts might look like. You know, the other thing real quick to consider here, um, once again, as we head into the draft, that number 13 overall pick, I do believe will be impacted by what they are able to do in free agency. Because if you go out and throw a bunch of money at an X type of receiver and he's like your outside guy, then I think that does inform for us what might happen at number 13. If you, if you do that, um, and or you maybe even sign a couple, and I think they are going to target a number, a number of those top receivers in free agency, and they will throw a bunch of money at that guy because that's what they do. They highlight one or two key free agents, and then they go out and they seize the moment, and they usually get their man. Right? We saw them get Jack Conklin. We've seen them get JJ three and others. So I, I, I know they have about three receivers in mind. If they get one. Uh, you know, then maybe that opens the door even more for that edge we're talking about at 13. Do other people just sort of have the general vibe that it's probably going to work out in the draft for the Browns? Like, feel good about it. Hey, you know, like, is that is that where people are now that that from the years of like, oh, how are they going to screw this up? And now we're just like, oh, you know, they got some options. They got a few needs. There's some guys that fit it. Do we feel good about what's going to happen at the end of April? Yeah, we're a long way from, what, 2013, 2004, you know, all these years when it's like, man, they need so much. Um, Tim Bielek 
who I know spends a lot more time thinking about this stuff than we do, had a wide receiver ranked third on uh, his positional rankings. So, yeah, it's a good class. And I think um, there's more position. They, they're going to take into account a lot of things, obviously. But if they want just positional value in the first round, wide receiver, like all day with number 13th pick, because not only are you getting somebody who's a position that's one of the most high, the highest paid in the league, similar to defensive end, you're getting one that's uh, going to have more impact on you winning games. And you really hope that guy turns into somebody you can just plug in and become a starter right off the bat. Um, it's likely going to take a little bit longer for that guy at defensive end um, to have that kind of impact again. Cause like I said, you can, you could do things to, to deal with a, with a good edge rusher. So uh, if they want to go a uh, wide receiver that I'm in dance camp, I think that should probably be the pick. Um, don't overthink it. Don't say we can get an edge rusher here and just take whatever falls to us in the second round. I think there's a more of a need to grow that position at wide receiver. You have more wide receivers just as a group that you need that you do at defensive end. Um, it just it makes a lot more sense to me that they would do that. Um, no matter what happens in free agency. Yeah, I think when it comes to the receivers, especially like what I feel good about <laughs> to, to the point of your original question, Doug, is what I mentioned earlier, that there's just so much variety with what these guys are good at. So like Mary Kay is talking about, if they go out and sign one of these guys they really want in free agency, they can kind of tailor who they draft based on who they already have in that room. And that's a really, I think, underrated luxury for them to have this year. Now I feel bad. Now I feel like people are saying like, I still think they should take a receiver. Unlike Doug, who's bailing on <laughs> Garrett Wilson. I still love Garrett Wilson. I'm not bailing on Garrett Wilson. I am just perhaps like if Garrett Wilson is gone and I still like Drake London, I, I just am a little, a little more trepidation about Traylon Burks and I'm not sure Olave is worth it at 13. That's all. I was going to, Doug, I did want to like kind of hear your opinion on Olave because I know with the testing, it's like everyone was kind of going over the moon in regards to him and thinking he really raised his draft stock because I know before it was kind of common to see him in the, towards the end of the first round. And now you got some people arguing he should be top 15 and you've obviously seen him more than any of us, I think. So just your thoughts on that, I guess. Now, when we, when it, when he ran an unofficial four, two, six, it was like, Oh my and then it got that moved to four three nine, which is still very fast, but it's not oh my range. <laughs> so, you know, on our on our Buckeye Talk podcast, Nathan Baird and I actually recorded like a twenty five minute pod hit based on the four two six, and then right when we were getting done, Nathan was like, "Uh oh, we have a problem," and so we had to re record because after the four two six, we were like, "Is he going to go ahead of Garrett Wilson?" And then it turns out Garrett Wilson ran a little bit faster, but a lot of they did measure taller and heavier. Than Garrett Wilson. And again, I think Garrett might've dropped some weight to try to run fast. He's a top, he's a take the top off the defense kind of receiver still to me. He's really fluid. He's not as explosive as Garrett. He's really fluid and smooth. And he caught a deep ball in the drills was like, man, that looks good. But it, like, I just, is that what the Browns need? Like that kind of number one receiver, a take the top off, or do they just need like a, Hey, get open all over the field guy, which I just think Garrett is a little bit more. So I'm not I don't think Olave would be a bad pick. 13 feels slightly high for him. But I will also say there was another Ohio State guy who I thought the Browns took slightly high one time, and that was Denzel Ward. And the class. Just gonna say. So I was like, I right, take Garrett. Well, I'd take Denzel Ward at nine or eleven. I wouldn't take him at four. And it's like, oh, you mean that guy? He's one of the five best corners in the league. So what do I know? 
Uh, Real quick, Doug, though, uh, as a corollary to that, do you think Garrett Wilson will be gone after what you saw at the combine and how he ran as well? You know, he he ran better than I think some people thought. He was saying how like, oh, people think I'm going to run a four five five, and he ran a four three eight. So it's like, okay, it's better than that. He was a little, you know, it's five eleven and a half, mm-hmm. one eighty three, I think it was. So again, that not the not the biggest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought his combine was good. I didn't know that. I don't think it was so amazing that it's like that's it. It's completely over. There's no chance of thirteen. So. And just like, again, Drake London coming back from the ankle stuff, hasn't doing everything yet. Drake London, I mean, he's five inches taller than Garrett Wilson. That's not going to change. So if you want a certain type of receiver, I think Garrett Wilson remains in play for the Browns for now to me. I don't think he automatically moved himself out of that. Mary Kay, where are you? Can I throw on one thing, though, when we talk about that? And I think this is really important. Like, bad teams overreact to the combine. Like, the, the combine... The combine for the good teams is about the interview process, the medicals, measurements, and to a certain extent, the workouts. But like, if you are if you are a talent evaluator and you love a guy and you go to the combine and he runs like a slightly worse 40 than you thought he would run, or like if you watch Traylon Burks and you're like, oh, four, five, five, I don't know. I mean, I've been watching this guy for three years and I love everything I've seen, but yeah, he ran a four, five, five, so I'm out. That makes you bad at your job. Like you can't, if you're a talent evaluator in the NFL, you can't put that much weight. Like it matters, but it's like Miles Garrett showed up and just blew the combine out of the water. But that's not why he went number one overall. He went number one overall because he had years of film. It was like, oh, this dude is going to be an elite edge rusher. And then he reinforced that at the combine. So I, I think that's important to, to keep in mind. Like what Garrett Wilson did at the combine might not have blown you out of the water, but it's still pretty good. And if you came away from a year of watching this guy on film and you're like, yeah, this guy's the best receiver in football. I don't think anything that happened at the combine should change your mind on that. I agree with that. But I also think if he had run even faster or if he had weighed in 10 pounds heavier, if he had been an inch and a half taller, it would reinforce stuff to like, if somebody's like, man, I really, the, whoever it is, New York, the Jets or the Giants have like the 10th pick. It's like, oh, we had the 10th pick. It's like, man, we really like him. It's like, if he runs a four, two, eight, instead of a four, three, it's like, we got to take it. You know, like, yeah, but, but, but now, I mean, I, well, like John Ross shows up at the combine and puts down a 4-2-2 no, and goes a pick ahead of Patrick Mahomes. No, but I mean, we're not talking, you know, Christian Watson is a guy from North Dakota state right. who like has a perfect athletic rating off the combine. Cause he, he's uh, his size and his speed and his agility was like through the roof. I'm not, I don't think the Browns should take him at 13, you know, like he's a guy, maybe they should think about him in the second round if they take an edge rush for 13. But again, I do think, there are some guys, Trayvon Walker, everybody on tape thought Trayvon Walker was a really good player at Georgia. And then at 275 pounds, he ran a, a fast 40. And then it's like, we really liked him. And then it's like, oh, we really like him. And so it's like, I don't think it changes your mind, but it reinforces, man, we were thinking about him at 11, but now we're definitely going to take him at 11. Let's take a quick break. Come back. What else do we change our minds or reinforce our thoughts about after the combine next on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast? Doug, Mary Kay, Dan, Ashley, and Scott. Mary Kay, let's go to you. What's the thing? You're you're coming out of the combine. You're like you're doubling down on it, or you're yeah, thinking something else. What what what'd you come away with? I am doubling down on the notion that I would take Malik Willis at number 13 overall if he falls to the Browns there. In my mind, I believe that 
when you have the quarterback, then everything else can flow from there. And the Browns already have mostly everything else that they need. I believe that they are uh, a really good quarterback and a couple of good receivers away from being exactly where they want to be. And so in my mind, the quarterback trumps a receiver or an edge or anything else right now, if that guy is there at number 13. Now, I came away from the combine actually changing one thing about that thought. And that is now I like him well enough that I would throw a few more picks at it and I would trade up to get him. Uh, I'm betting on the traits. Okay. It's traits. He is raw. He needs time, but I like the traits that I'm seeing. And I mean, uh, the arm strength, the arm, the uncanny knack to throw from arm angles, which I've seen with my own two eyes, um, the, you know, the footwork, the agility, the mobility, and just the, the character. I like the character of this young man. Uh, I think he has what it takes to lead a football team. And I think that's vitally important. And, um, and I don't really care if I screw it up. I don't really care because you can overcome it if you screw it up. But if you nail it, you could be good to go for a decade. So that's where I'm at. So, so let me ask about this because we, we might, Mary Kay, you, you, I might need a Mary Kay ranking at some point of like the 10 quarterbacks in the draft that you've liked the most in your time covering the Browns. Cause I know Josh Allen is on this list. I know Derek Carr is on that list, right? There's some guys and like, you're right a lot. So I'm very curious where your Malik Willis admiration would rank on your list of quarterbacks. you like, here's my question. Mm-hmm. What do you think the chances are that the Browns do it? Like, is it, is it zero? Because we did have the, you know, Andrew Barron, Kevin Stefanski, the way they talked about Baker Mayfield, all these things with the other things we talked about. Do you think there's any chance that Malik Willis winds up a Brown or is this just going to be one of those where like, well, Mary Kay was right and the Browns didn't listen. And here we go, which we can add it to the list of other quarterbacks. You know what? This comes just from uh, my own observations, my own due diligence uh, on the player. I mean, even including, you know, giving merchandise away to a homeless person on the street, which we all saw. I mean, there's just a lot about him uh, that I really like in that way. And I think uh, I don't really think that the Browns are thinking Malik Willis at number 13 overall. And if they are, then they're doing a phenomenal job of hiding it. So, no, I don't think they're going to do this. I don't think they're going to trade up to get him. Um, If they do, I will be very surprised. So this is just basically me saying I would take that chance and uh, and see where it gets you. And again, maybe you guys uh, think that I'm crazy to say if I if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I can somehow overcome that because I think you can get other positions some way, somehow. I think you can go out and buy yourself an edge. I think you can go out and buy yourself a receiver or draft receiver in the second round or the third round. But if you think that you have a chance on a franchise quarterback, then I'm taking that swing. And if I miss, I'm cool with that. There is a possibility that if Mary Kay Cabot had been the Browns GM over the last 20 years, they would have won many, many more games than they have won (laughs) because you have been right on some of these people, but does any, Ashley, Dan, Scott, where are you on what you think the chances are of Malik Willis being a Brown? Do you think there's, it's like, it's just no way. Or do you think they could be slow playing this a little bit and valuing a potential franchise quarterback? No, I'm, I don't think he's 
I don't, I don't see that happening. I think there's, uh, I don't know how we went from, this is a really bad quarterback class over the last month. There's a guy in this, at the top of this quarterback group that's going to drastically change the, the fortunes of your, of your franchise. I, I don't know. I, I just don't see that happening. I think there's a lot of quarterback needy teams that are going to be more desperate to take that chance in the Browns as well. Um, despite everybody kind of poo-pooing this class. Can I say that? Did we just get a, an adult rating on this podcast? Um, <laughs> there, I mean, there could be like five guys, five quarterbacks taken in this first round. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that the Browns are going to be one of the teams taken in one. Well, let me just say something real interject there real super quick. Nobody thought Lamar Jackson was going to be what Lamar Jackson turned out to be. And that, I mean, that that's okay. People were asking him if he would do receiver drills at the combine. So it quarterback evaluations are a very, very tricky thing. And, um, and, you know, really even, I mean, I, I, I scouted that quarterback class thoroughly and I, you know, I didn't think that um, the Browns would have any interest in Lamar and I didn't really give him, uh, you know, enough thought pre-draft. And now I think we are seeing a trend in the NFL. People are seeing the wisdom in dual threat quarterbacks. People are seeing what you can do with these guys. As the edge rushers get bigger and better and faster, you need mobile guys. You can't have somebody that's going to be hemmed into the pocket. It's a dangerous place to be these days. So you need somebody that can throw from different arm, arm angles and scoot out of there and slip out of there and uh, have the arm strength to get it out of there. And how the ball comes off the hand for Malik Willis is almost almost scary. Like I said, I'm betting on traits here. I am betting on traits, and I am saying it right now. People can tell me for the rest of my life that I was stupid and I was wrong, but I don't care. I don't care about that. I'm willing to take a chance on a player like this, but then you have to coach him upright. You have to surround him with the right kind of talent. You have to get the right kind of an offensive coordinator, like what the Ravens did with Lamar. You couldn't have necessarily dropped Lamar Jackson into the Browns lap and think that he was going uh, to be Lamar Jackson here. You couldn't even necessarily have done that with Josh Allen. You have to be ready to adapt to that kind of a quarterback. And so the Browns would have to make that organizational commitment to it. But if you do that, I think you'd have a chance. Okay. Scott, what are you thinking? What are you changing your mind on? What are you doubling down on off the combine? So I think mine's more of a change my mind kind of thing. Um, I had been thinking that the Browns really needed to draft a quarterback at some point in the draft that they had gone like 2018, obviously is the last time they drafted one. And this streak without drafting one is the longest in franchise history. And I thought they really need to get back on track of getting somebody young that they can develop. Um, whether it's for the future, just, you know, they, they just, they don't have that guy and they haven't had that guy uh, on the roster, but after going through the combine um, and this kind of builds off what I just said uh, after Mary Kay's thing, I, despite what everybody said about the quarterback class, a lot of these guys, uh, a lot of them could go in the first round. I'm going off the, uh, that um, Doug, I think you turned me onto this, the NFL mock draft database that kind of aggregates a bunch of mock drafts and um, you know, you got Pickett and Willis. Um, you go on Sam Howell going 20th to the Steelers, you know, Steelers is a team that could trade up and get somebody conceivably. So there could be as many as five guys going in the first round. And I think if the Browns are not going to get one of those guys, then you're looking obviously mid round for a quarterback 
and you're going to end up with a guy. And I don't know if it's really worth it now to just take a guy, a quarterback to say you drafted a quarterback or just to have a guy to develop because again, this team is kind of built to win. Now using a draft pick on a position that's going to feed one spot on the field. Um, I'd prefer to see them kind of build depth elsewhere. There are a lot of places, even though this is a pretty good roster, they do need to build depth, obviously along the defensive line. Um, there's still questions at linebacker. We don't know how tight end is going to shake out with free agency. Um, so there's a lot of places I think they're going to get more value. So I'm coming out of this, not really thinking that they should take a quarterback uh, just because anybody who I think has some, some legit possibilities to become a guy is, is, is not going to be on their radar in the first round. I maybe still have a guy. I, I, uh, not I, who's your guy. I think Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky is interesting and, and, and not as their next Baker Mayfield, but as their next case Keenum, like he's a chuck it around dude, like not the strongest arm in the world, but good ball placement. And like, that's a little hard. It's like, Oh, Baker is supposed to be accurate. Right. Like that's supposed to be his thing, but it's like almost sort of filling. It's like, well, get you let case Keenum go and bring this guy in and try to develop him behind him. And what if he's one of these guys who doesn't have the world's greatest physical traits, but he's so accurate. He's thrown the ball a gazillion times in college. I could see a mid round pick on a guy like that, but again, Scott, some of these guys, sometimes when you get to the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds of quarterbacks, it's like, it's just a dude. It's just a body. It's, it's trying to, it's hard to find traits. Zappy is still a guy to me who does have a little bit of a trait that might stand out. That might be a roll of the dice in like the comp pick in the third round. Maybe he might appear in my mock draft on Tuesday. We'll have to see. Um, but I'm I'm slightly intrigued by him. But I and, and I still like Ritter. I still like Desmond Ritter. We'll have to talk about him on another podcast. Um, he could be a first rounder at this point. No, I know that's why I had the Browns trading up in my first mock to get him in the back of the first round. But like I think I want to do this podcast on what the Steelers are going to do. I think we should do a podcast on the quarterbacks, right? Who might take them, who might be gone or available when the Browns pick, who could the Steelers get, especially Ritter said he was going to test really well. And he did. He's big. He knew he was going to put up good numbers. I'm not sure I want to see him in Pittsburgh either. We'll say that for another podcast. (laughs) Uh, Anybody else have strong feelings either way on, you know, beyond Malik Willis quarterback or no quarterback. I mean, should they take a quarterback in the fourth round or is it not that big of a deal? Yeah, I mean, I'm with Scott, like in terms of I don't think you draft a guy just to draft a guy like you better have something you like about him or think you can develop him or something along those lines. Um, So I think that is important there. But to Mary Kay's earlier point, then if they are in love with Malik Willis, I think you then would need to advocate for them taking that chance. If they think he is going to be a stud and is somebody they can develop, then that's how you justify it. Because we all know how difficult it is to find a good, solid franchise quarterback in this league. So I, but I am with Scott. Like, I don't think you, you draft somebody just, just because, oh, we haven't drafted a quarterback in three years or whatever. And we need somebody now in the, in the fourth round or, or something like that. I do think that kind of is just a waste of a pick. If you're just doing that without a real reason behind doing that. All right, Ashley. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, oh, go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, I mean, I, <laughs> I guess if you're going to take a quarterback, I'd rather, I, I mean, I, I prefer the, you know, screw it. Let's just take Malik Willis approach. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I worry a little, like hearing the Malik Willis discussion, like if you really truly believe 
Like if they really look at this guy and they're like, oh, this dude is, he's got a chance. Like, I mean, the Browns sort of have a chance to get stuck in quarterback purgatory here if, if they don't figure out a way to address this. And I mean, we could be having a discussion every year about like, uh, you know, is Kirk Cousins an upgrade over what they have now? Or is Jimmy Garoppolo an upgrade? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd be okay with them taking a quarterback later in the draft, but it's, it's still going to be a position they've got to find an answer for long-term. And, you know, I, I'd almost, I'd kind of shrug if they took a guy in the fourth round, but you know, I certainly wouldn't be opposed if they fall in love with like a Malik Willis. I know that's, an earlier discussion, but I, I'd almost rather than just do that. Fourth round quarterback or kicker. <laughs> I got kickers. I talked to every kicker. Well, I didn't talk to I, I, I'm like the only person who talked to Cade York at the combine. We had like I a 12. You, I had picture like a, you just running around to those different podiums and getting one-on-ones with each guy. Well, they didn't put the good kickers up on the big podiums. They put that half mm-hmm. kicker, half punter guy. He's like a centaur. He's half kicker. He's half punter. <laughs> he got a good podium, but like I was talking to that guy. But the regular kickers were off on like the little podiums. And so Cade York's from LSU, there was like an LSU camera crew there that was like, hey, let's record Cade York doing an interview at the combine. And then there was nobody talking to him. And I was sort of like, what are you doing? They were like, ooh, somebody's here to talk to him. So then I was like, Cade York, will you come save the Cleveland Browns? And Cade York is in. He's in. <laughs> so I got him in the fifth round. But that no, will nothing. Nothing says more about how the NFL values kickers than where they put them at the combine over in the corner at those little tables where like the overflow from podium yeah, one is blocking them. So you can't even see them. So it's a sad place to be, but he, he, I'm glad you found them. But these guys, Evan McPherson is their God. Like everybody's like, I want to be that guy. And we're like, we want you to be that guy. Can you come be that guy in Cleveland? So we'll get that locked up fifth round. Okay. You were all right. Ashley, is Ashley, Ashley, your yeah. turn. Do you have a thing? What's your thing? Your thing that changed or didn't change? So I, what didn't change is, and I mentioned this earlier, I am still just as confused in terms of what the Browns want at receiver, given these different guys. Now, the one guy who I'm still intrigued by Drake London, but he didn't test at the combine. He didn't do his running. He said he's trying to do that at his pro day. Obviously, if you aren't familiar with Drake London, he did break his ankle. It ended his season early. Um, So he's waiting to run and do all of the testing. So I am still curious by him, but these guys are just so different. Like when we talked to the receivers, I, I walked away really liking Traylon Burks and I maybe wasn't as focused on him, like doing my mocks because um, I was either looking at Drake London or Garrett Wilson for those first two. But I really am especially, I think, intrigued by him given the mix of traits. And obviously I think with his testing that didn't go as well as many people hoped, but I'm kind of in Dan's camp where he made the point earlier that you don't want to overemphasize the testing and the combine and things like that. And especially because there are guys who test so well and then end up like not really doing anything in the league itself, but I'm still really intrigued by him. And I just think we really got no clarity in terms of what the Browns actually want. Now, so much of that can depend on, I think what they do in free agency, who is available, all that sort of stuff. But I'm very curious to see how they build that room, but I'm still just as confused as I was when I got to Indy last Monday. I like that. This is the opportunity. What, what did you change your mind about? And Ashley is I'm doubling down on my confusion. Yeah. Isn't that like, no idea. 
Yeah, I still, I genuinely have no idea. And I could make an argument, I think, for just about any of these guys. But I think so much of it is determined about what else they do and how free agency plays out. And obviously, who's gone before they draft at 13? Yeah, I, do, do we think that there is a particular skill set or body type that they actually prefer that they're targeting or will they just take the best guy that they can get in free agency and the best guy they can get in the draft and, and make it work? Or do we, do we have any indication they like a fast guy? They like a shifty guy. They like a tall guy. Do we know what we think they like, or it doesn't matter. You know what? I, I keep uh, leaning towards the uh, little bit shorter, shiftier, very, very fast speed is the name of the game in the NFL right now. And as I mentioned before, when it comes to a lot of size in terms of your pass catchers, I believe that they already have that in their tight ends and they utilize it thoroughly. Some teams don't, but we know that the Browns have that. So they need to add some devastating speed at wide receiver. That's where I'm going with this. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's the agile, shifty, you know, cut guy, you know, make plays all over the field, go deep. Uh, that, that's where that's where I think that they should and will lean in, in this draft. They don't need another almost tight end type of body. They, they have that. So that, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I would, I would throw speed out as the one thing that they look for most. Um, I mean, Anthony Schwartz, Demetri Felton, quickness. Um, stuff like that. Um, Jamarcus Bradley, you know, that guy's on the roster because of his speed in large part. So I think that really matters to them too. So I said, oh, they're not going to take this guy. So that I just, a name to watch then along those lines, uh, along those lines is this Christian Watson guy who is six, four and ran an awesome time, uh, ran a four, three, six at six, four. And is like did not put in up huge numbers in college, but like the athletic numbers of this guy, it's it's as good of a package as you're going to find in this draft. And so, um, people are saying like, oh, it's top fifty coming out of this. Well, the Browns have two picks in the top fifty. That could be a guy in the middle of the second round that might be there for the Browns. I do. Before we go, one other thing that I'm sure of, and this is directed at Dan and Ashley and your original first round mocks. Are you both admitting that you're giving up the Devonte Wyatt dream? Because oh, yeah. you guys both had him in the second round in your initial mocks. And then again, like every Georgia player at the combine, he was gigantic and super fast. And there's no way he's getting in the middle of the second round. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to let that dream die. And I'm, I'm sad about it, but I'm glad I got to write about it for those those first two weeks. Uh, can I can I throw out an honorable mention, too? Yeah. The the combine confirmed for me. Uh, how much I really like Calvin Austin III, even though he's so darn small. I like the player. He's he's not built small. I mean, this is you don't look at him and think that this is a small. I mean, guy, he is jacked up, and uh, and he ran like crazy. I, I I just I like his game, and he's a later round pick. In my last mock, I I picked him with the comp pick. I would do that again in a heartbeat. I really like that player. Yeah, I'm, I have to leave Devontae Wyatt to someone else. I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave Sky Moore to yeah. someone else. Yeah, huge combine. <laughs> um, but a name I mentioned earlier and a guy I was kind of circling a little bit before the combine, Logan Hall out of Houston, six foot six, 283 pounds, tested with the ends, might be a tackle 
And I, I, you know, like you look at the Browns going after a guy like Malik McDowell, right? Who's six foot six, 296. And just that physically imposing, I think what made Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney so scary on top of just what they did on the field is like, oh my God, these two guys are both collapsing on me and they're like enormous and fast and gigantic. And then you throw, you had six foot six Malik McDowell in the middle of that line. That's got to be scary for any quarterback. And so I, I just wonder if Logan Hall is a guy with his versatility, if, if they believe he can play defensive tackle in this scheme and also slide to the outside, if he's a guy they might like at 44. Joe Burrow described Garrett and Clowney as freakazoids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Baker That's the, called them his tiny friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, uh, the Andrew Berry official draft strategy is draft freakazoids. That's that, that actually might be, that, that might be on a wall somewhere in Berea. Yeah. I, I think. <laughs> and I will say Mary Kay, you may have to give up the Calvin Austin dream as well, because there were multiple guys from the American athletic conference who were asked like, Hey, who's the best receiver you ever covered? And they were like Calvin Austin. So he was <laughs> walk know. on, walk on at Memphis. I know. Incredibly die, like, just like a, you, you talk to him and you fall in love with the guy, like sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. Like they played Alabama. In the semifinal, they played Notre Dame. It's like, oh, best receiver. He's like Calvin Austin. And it's like, okay, uh, the the, yeah. the secret might be out on, on that guy too. I know. Uh, okay, so that's kind of our combine wrap. We'll continue to possibly change our minds through the draft process. We certainly will change as we react to what the Browns do and don't do in free agency. We'll continue to talk about all this stuff. It's fun, man. This this fun part of football. I mean, the games are fun. But I like talking about roster building and what are they going to do? And and the Browns are capable. So when we talk about them, we don't have to talk about oh, what silly thing are they going to do next? It's like, no, they're trying to build a championship team. And how are they going to do that? So thanks to you guys for making us part of your week. For Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, Dan Lobby, and Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>